0: Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast. A podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. As you know, we've been in this series on the armor of God. The armor of God. So I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 10, where the Apostle Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty Then he says, put on the full, everybody say full. You got to have every single piece of it on. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against his methods, against his plan, against your life to destroy you. And then he goes on and he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he said it again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And even though we are living in a day of evil, personally, you never know when the day of evil is going to visit you, so you've gotta always be prepared to stand that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth. And we've talked about the belt of truth, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then we get to the third piece of the armor, and with your feet. You ladies are going to love the message today because it's about shoes. And I know you ladies love your shoes. We're going to talk about shoes today, but it's not just shoes for women. It's shoes for all of us, spiritual shoes. And he says, you need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So today we're going to talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, in the first two messages that I've shared with you, when we've talked about the belt of truth and when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, I gave clarity and I gave definition to what truth is. And I gave clarity and definition to what righteousness is. And so this morning, I need to begin by giving you clarity and definition as to what the gospel is that Paul is referring to here. The word gospel just simply means good news. We could use some good news today, couldn't we? Just simply means good news. Paul gives us perhaps the greatest clarity about what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The good news that I preached to you, which you received. He said, I preached it, you received it. That means you believed it. You received it as truth. And he said, and now you have taken your stand on that gospel. Your life has as its foundation, the gospel. It is the foundation of your salvation the gospel. And and then he goes on and he says, by this gospel, this good news, you are saved. That is when you believe, when you hear it, when you believe it, when you receive it. And when you take your stand on it, he says, by this gospel, you are saved. In other words, we need to know that we are not just saved past tense by hearing and believing and receiving the gospel but as we continue to hear it and believe it and receive it we continue to be saved and he says that by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you otherwise you have believed in vain And then he goes on in verse 3 and says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this is the most important thing that you need to know. Of first importance. And then he shares with us the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And when you go back and study the Old Testament scriptures, you find that there was scripture after scripture. There was prophecy after prophecy that was given to us about the death of Jesus and how his death would occur. And Paul says that he died exactly the way the scriptures predicted that he would die. But not only is that a part of the gospel, he said that Christ died for our sins, according to scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins, but it didn't stop there. He was buried, but then he rose again. And listen to me, he is alive today. And we know that he's alive we know that he's alive, not just because he said he was alive. But we know he's alive because there were eyewitness accounts, historically, eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus alive after he had been dead and put in a grave for three days. That is the gospel. But let me tell you this, that is not where the gospel started. The gospel message began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. You remember when Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled against God and ate from the tree that they were told not to eat from? Up until that time, they had perfect communion and fellowship and relationship with God. But the moment that they sinned, their sin then separated them from God. That's what you and I are born into. We are born now as sinners, and our sin has separated us from God. Now, God had a system in the Old Testament by which He would keep sin covered. It was called a sacrificial system. And that is that if somebody in the Old Testament, under the law, if they sinned, they had to bring an animal to the priest. That animal had to be either a bull or a goat or a lamb without spot or without blemish. And if you couldn't afford one of those, if you were poor, you could bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. And the priest would take that animal and he would slaughter the animal and he would put the blood upon the altar. He would put the blood upon the mercy seat as an atonement for the sins of the people. You say atonement, what does that mean? It just simply means to cover. The blood of those innocent animals covered the sins of the people so that God could not see their sin. Now that's important. You need to remember that as we move forward here in the message today. There was also one day a year called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest himself would approach the tabernacle of God. And before he would go into the holy place, he was to wash himself and to cleanse himself. And then he was to take a bull And he was to slaughter that bull and use the blood from that bull as an atonement for his sins personally and for the sins of his family. He would then take some of that blood into the Holy of Holies and put some of that blood upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant as symbolic of covering his sins and the sins of his family. But he would also take two goats with him into the holy of holies. One of the goats was called a scapegoat. And let me tell you why it was called a scapegoat, because that goat would die and its blood would be used as an atonement for all of the sins of the nation of Israel. And they would do that once a year on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur. You say, well, then what happened to the other goat Well, one goat died innocently, its blood used to cover the sins of the people so that God could not see their sins. But the other goat, the high priest, would lay his hand on the goat and then release the goat and let the goat go free. You see, that's a picture of what Jesus did for you and me. Jesus became our scapegoat. Jesus died in our place even though he was without sin and had no sin whatsoever, Jesus became the scapegoat so that you and I could be free. So that you and I could go free. I think we ought to just stop right here and thank God for that. Amen? <laughs> but but that, that was only a temporary system. It could not completely do away with sin until Jesus came. And when John looked up and saw Jesus on the day that he was baptizing, he saw Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice not who covers the sins of the world, but the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and for my sins. But it didn't end at the cross. You need to know that. The gospel message does not end at the cross. The Bible says that he was buried and he rose again and he is alive today. You say, well, why does that have to be a part of the gospel message? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Jesus removed the the sting of sin. What was the sting of sin? The sting of sin was death. So Jesus didn't just do away with sin once and for all. He also got rid of the sting of sin, which is death. That's why in John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And whoever believes on me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Because you see, the Bible said that the wages of sin is death. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came along and he made a way where there was no, No way, and he took the stinger out of sin, which is death, so that now you and I will not die, but our sins have been covered, our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, amen. And even though we may die a physical death one day when the trumpet sounds, the Bible says the dead in Christ are gonna rise first, but we which are alive and remain, we're gonna be caught up together to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day, he's going to resurrect that old body that went into the ground. But the body that went in the ground is not the body that's going to come out of the ground. Somebody help me preach here this morning. Hallelujah. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't just push them aside and not have anything left to do with them. God continued to do what he had always done. He came down into the garden to have a conversation, to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And when he got there, of course, they're hiding from him because now they've sinned. Their eyes have been opened. They noticed that they're naked. Now they're feeling things they've never felt before, things like shame and guilt. And God knows what's happened. And so what does God do? God kills an animal. Because Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so God kills an animal, and he takes the skins from that animal. And do you know what he did? He clothed them in those skins. Do you know what that's a picture of? that when you and I come to Christ and we put our trust and our faith in what he did at the cross and through the resurrection, when we decide to receive that personally for ourselves, the Bible says that God does what? He clothes us in Christ. And in a nutshell, that's the gospel. I believe that the gospel is summed up pretty well in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish now, but have everlasting life. Notice, notice now what he says in Colossians chapter one. He said, and, and, and this is what you and I were before we were saved He said, we were his enemies. Now, now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God was our enemy. It says we were God's enemy. And he tells us why. He said that we were separated from him by our evil thoughts and our actions, because that's what sin does. It separates us from God. And as I just said, that was all of us. From the moment that we were born, our sin had separated us from God. And so what did we need? We needed to be reconciled to God. But how is that going to happen? He tells us yet now, he has reconciled you and I to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, look at this, he has brought you into his own presence. Oh, I love this. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without fault. Not holy and blameless before him because of who you are. But holy and blameless because of who you're in. You are in Christ Jesus. I, I love again what he said in Hebrews. And, 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 and this may test somebody's theology here this morning. But in Hebrews, here's what God said. He said that God, through one sacrifice, aren't you glad that we don't have to still bring animals every time we sin and offer a blood sacrifice every time we sin? Because what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, the blood of Jesus did. (laughs) But the writer of Hebrews said that God through one sacrifice did what? Made you and I perfect forever. You say, well, how can that be? Because I'm not perfect. Yes, you are. Positionally, you are perfect because positionally, you are in Christ who is perfect. But notice it says this. Don't stop there. It says that God, through just one sacrifice, made us perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. We are perfect positionally, but we still trying to get it together practically, aren't we? But he has made us perfect forever through one sacrifice, those who are being made holy. Now, that's important when it comes to the shoes of the gospel. Because he said it this way, he said, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But he said, you've got to continue to believe this truth and stand what? Firmly in it. And he said, whatever you do, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. In other words, you've now heard the gospel and the gospel is all about God's love. The gospel is all about God's grace. For by grace are you and I saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. We are not saved by our works. We do not get to heaven by our works. There's only one way we get to heaven, and that's through a relationship with Jesus. Yes. Amen. But as I'm going to preach to you here in just a minute, because <laughs> some folks want to just stay in the grace boat. Your works don't get you to heaven, but once you get saved, God expects you to do something. And God expects you to be somebody. And who he expects you to be is holy, and what he expects you to live is a holy life. Amen. I'll talk about more than that in just a minute. But notice what he says. He said this gospel that you've heard, you've continued to believe, stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from it. The reason why Paul is telling them this is because he knows that somebody's going to come along and try to pervert the gospel. That's why he says this in Galatians. He said, I am astonished, I'm shocked, I'm appalled that you are so quickly deserting, leaving one for another, that you're you're so quickly deserting the one God who called you to live in what? In the grace of Christ. But now what are you doing? You're deserting that and you're turning to a different gospel. What kind of a gospel? That you're saved by your works. That you can get to heaven by your works. What kind of a different gospel? Oh, Jesus is not the only way. To the Father, there's many ways to God. People who come along and pervert the gospel. And Paul is saying, I'm astonished that so many of you have... have, have so quickly deserted the gospel of grace and now you're you're turning to a completely different gospel which is really he said no gospel at all now, gentlemen we can really identify with this because what they were preaching was that in order to get to heaven in order to have a relationship with God everybody all you mean we had you have to be circumcised that's not good news That is really no gospel at all. Come on, brothers, say amen. And he said, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're perverting the gospel of Christ. But notice what he said. Even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And he said, Hey, just in case you didn't get it, as I already said one time, let me say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's why he said in Galatians 5 and 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand, stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery or a yoke of bondage. Don't go back into that gospel that says that you are only saved by your works or you're saved by your works plus Christ. No, it ain't even your works plus Christ. It is Christ alone, alone that you and I have any hope whatsoever of being saved. So why is that important? Well, I began to think about shoes and the purpose of shoes because he calls this gospel shoes. And I began to think about it. And there's a lot of different purposes for shoes. You know, shoes are for comfort. However, some of these shoes I see, some of you ladies wear, I don't know how that can be comfortable. Sometimes I think you just bear it. They're They're for comfort there's there's a number of different uses and purposes for shoes. And I don't have time to talk about all of them today, but let me just really quickly give you three. Number one, shoes provide balance. Now, when I mean balance, I mean a way for you to properly distribute your, your weight. Balance. Matter of fact, the shoes that a Roman soldier would have worn would have been like sandals that were attached to the feet with leather straps, and on the bottom of the shoes would have been like little hobnails. And those little nails in the shoes were to help that soldier when he would go into hand-to-hand combat to stay balanced, to, to remain steady and firm. Now, when I think about the shoes as it relates to balance, I guarantee you no soldier ever went to battle with just one shoe on. But you know that there's a lot of Christians that try to go to battle with just one shoe on. Now, I'm going to get to the scripture here in just a moment, and I might get ahead of myself. That's all right. You remember what Jesus said in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he was tempted by the devil? He said, man... Shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's some folk, and I've even heard preachers and teachers talk about this. They just teach one thing out of this book. Well, my thing is faith. I'm, I'm just going to teach faith. Well, my thing is health, wealth, and prosperity. So I'm, I'm just going to teach health, wealth, and prosperity. And they pick and choose what they're going to emphasize and spend their ministry talking about. Let me tell you something. You don't pick and choose one subject. That's why Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20, he said that I preached the whole counsel of God's word. Now, when I think about the balance of the gospel, I think about two things. When I think about these two shoes, I think about grace and I think about truth. We see both here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul showed that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Grace, that God sent his Son. He loved us so much that God sent his son who demonstrated his love for us that he gave his life for us. Grace. Truth. We were sinners. You know what I found out about sinners? They don't like it when you call them sinners. They don't don't like the truth. That's why some churches you go to, all they preach is grace because they don't want to offend anybody. Oh, they may stop coming. They may stop paying their tithes. They might find another church to go. Well, we're just going to preach grace, 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 grace. Then you got other churches. All they preach is truth. And they have a reputation for being very legalistic. Some of us grew up in truth churches, but not much grace. Somebody help me there. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus in John chapter 1. It says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Now that doesn't mean that 50% of the time Jesus talked about grace and the other 50% of the time He talked about truth. That's not what it says. It says He was full of grace, 100%, and He was full of truth. 100% and listen you and I if we're going to be balanced as soldiers in the army of God we've got to wear both shoes we got to wear the shoe of grace yes but we've also got to wear the shoe of truth well I'm getting a few hand claps you don't expect to get much Because people love it when you talk about grace because you know how many people define grace? That's my license to do whatever I want to do. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Christ's perfect. I'm not. God understands I'm not perfect. And so that's my license to just do whatever I want to do. Say whatever I want to say. Go wherever I want to. That's how some people interpret grace. It's their license to sin. And you know what? If you don't preach anything but grace... You, you, you're never gonna have the balance you need to stand that when the evil day comes, you'll be able to stand against it. Listen, you you cannot appreciate grace if you don't know the truth. And the truth is you and I were sinners, separated from God, and our eternal destination was hell. That's the truth. And that's what every single one of us deserved was eternal death and eternal damnation because of our sin. That is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And you cannot appreciate grace if you don't know the truth that it was grace that rescued you from that. Hallelujah. And made a way for you to be kept from that. You gotta, you gotta have both. And not only that, but when you come to Christ, yes, you come to Christ through 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 grace. It is a free gift. There's nothing that you can do. Christ has done everything, it's through grace. But once you come to him, listen to me, I said it a little bit ago. Once you come to him, God expects a certain standard, God expects a certain lifestyle. God God expects you to be a a certain kind of a person, a holy person, living a holy life. That's why I'm so constantly talking about be like. And shine bright, be salt, and make things better. The truth is, help us, Jesus. Let me just say this we got to be better at speaking the truth. We do, we got to be better. When somebody who, who, who is a follower of Christ, claiming to be a follower of Christ, and, and yet their lifestyle does not match up, their practice does not ma- match up with their position. Let me tell you something, we are not doing anybody justice by tolerating it. I know, I know I'm, I'm treading where angels fear to tread this morning. But I'm telling you, that's what a family does. A family keeps each other accountable. And if there's sin in your life, if you're doing things that are displeasing to God, if if you're doing things that's gonna bring destruction, chaos, all of those things into your life, you need somebody who loves you enough that will step into your life and say, listen, you need to stop that. That is wrong. That is contrary to God's word. It's displeasing to God, and it's going to destroy you. You said that's judgmental. No, it isn't. No, it is not judgmental. It's love. It's love. When you love somebody enough that you're going to step into that situation and hopefully get them turned off of that path of destruction, back onto the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. No, that's not judgmental. No, that's not legalistic. That's love. And Jesus knew, Jesus, yes, he was a man of grace, but he was also a man who would speak the truth. God, give us some people who are not afraid to stand up for truth and speak the truth, covered in the grace of God. Amen. Gotta have both. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move on here. Here's the second thing, that, that, shoes, that shoes are for mobility. You know, you don't, you don't wear shoes just to stand still. Therefore, mobility. This good news that we're talking about here today, let me tell you something. There's people out there that hadn't heard it yet. Somebody's got to go tell them. Isaiah 52 and 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. God wants you to, God wants to use your feet to spread the good news. Now, notice what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. He said, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Because it is written, and he quotes the scripture we just saw in Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have this good news that we've experienced this good news that has changed and transformed our lives listen we need to use these feet to spread the good news hallelujah to tell others about the good news to tell others how they can experience what we've experienced in our life mobility but then maybe the thing that paul had most in mind was stability. Not just balance and mobility, but stability. And Tanya, if you'll go ahead, I'll preach all day long. I'm telling you, y'all just don't know how hard it is, times when you get up here and you get wound up to get wound down. But stability because remember what he called these shoes. He said, stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from what? The gospel of peace. You could read it like this, the gospel that brings peace. And the Bible talks about three different kinds of peace. It talks about the peace of God. It talks about peace with other people, but then it talks about peace with God. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about peace with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He said it like this in Romans 5. He said, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, since we've been made right through faith, we have what? Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Somebody needs to hear this today. Now, because you have believed and received by faith what Christ Jesus did at the cross and through the resurrection... Now that you are what we would call saved or born again, here's what you need to know. You are no longer God's enemy. Somebody needs to hear that. You are no longer God's enemy. You know what he calls you? Friend. You know what he calls you? Son, daughter. You say, well, why is it important that I need to know that I'm no longer the enemy of God? Now, listen, I didn't say God was your enemy, but you and I, we were, the Bible tells us, we were enemies of God because of our hostile thinking, because of our evil thinking, because of our wicked ways. And it's not that God was an enemy of you as an individual, but he was an enemy of the sin that was ruling and reigning in your life. Let me show show you why this is important. In, in, In Exodus chapter 14, I'll come back to that in just a second. In Exodus chapter 14, God is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt where they had been a nation of slaves, a nation in bondage. He's taking them to Canaan, the promised land. You know the story, most of you know the story. They come to a place called the Red Sea They look behind them and Pharaoh's army is now chasing them. So Pharaoh's army is bearing down from the back. The Red Seas in the front and to each side there are mountains. So they feel like they are hemmed in. What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this mess? (laughs) And so Moses asks God. And God tells Moses what to do. Moses says to the people, telling the people what God told him. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you shall see again no more forever. In other words, Moses, remind them, they're not my enemy. They're my chosen I'm on their side. Remind them of that. And then tell them this, the Lord will fight for you. And you shall what? Hold your peace. Because when you know that God is not against you anymore, that God is not your enemy anymore, but God is on your side. And God is fighting for you. Oh, somebody ought to get happy about that today. You can stand firm with peace knowing my God is for me, not against me. Oh, somebody give him a good praise right there. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Come on out team, everybody stand. I gotta show you this, I I gotta show you. Just stand, it's gonna take just a minute. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Three, four nations have formed an alliance and they're coming against the people of God. Jehoshaphat gets the message. The first thing that he does is he calls a fast and he begins to pray. And in his prayer, he reminded God, he said, God, you alone are, are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. <laughs> and he said, God, he said, you said that if we would come to your temple and if we would stand at your temple and if we would begin to call on your name. No, no notice what he said. He said, you said that if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, you need to remember that. Because of the next scripture you're gonna see in just a minute. Sword, judgment, pestilent family. And he said, when that comes, he said, you you said that if we'll stand before this temple in your presence and cry out to you in our affliction that you will hear us and you will save us. And he ends his prayer by saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all of a sudden the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehazel and Jehazel begins to prophesy. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours. Yeah. Cause God is on your side. You're not gonna need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them for the Lord is on your side. For the Lord is with you. Hey, hallelujah. I gotta show you, I gotta show you, I gotta show you. Romans eight twenty-eight. here's what Paul said. This is his way of saying what we just read. And we know that all things, everybody say things. We're gonna find out what kind of things he's talking about. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are on God's side. Listen, we need to stop asking God, are you on our side? That's not what it's about. Are you on his side? Are you on his side? (laughs) I'm, I'm on his side. That's why Peter, when they came to arrest Jesus and those soldiers that were about to arrest Jesus, when they said, are you who we've been told you are, Jesus, the son of God? And here's what Jesus said, I am he. And do you know what those 600 soldiers did? Poof, fell, slapped back on their backs. Don't tell me there ain't no such thing as falling out under the power of the Holy Ghost. Because man, they fell out on their back. And Peter, when he saw how much power Jesus had, that just by saying, I am he, that all those soldiers hit the ground, he said, man, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. I ain't afraid of them because, hey, did you just see what happened? He said, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then he says this, what then shall we say to these things? We're gonna find out what those things are in a moment, but he tells us what we are to say to those things. Look, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side or if we're on his side, who can be against us? And then he tells us what those things are. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice, it sounds a lot like Jehoshaphat, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Those are the things that we're to talk to. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 37, yet in all these things, all those things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, In all those things, we are more than conquerors. Woo! Through Him who loved us. Oh, aren't you thankful that God is on our side? Aren't you thankful that we're no longer the enemies of God, but the gospel, the good news tells us that we've now been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and we are no longer his enemies. We are his friends, we are his sons, we are his daughters. We have peace with God and in that peace you can stand no matter what comes against you, knowing that God is fighting for you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, come on. Let's give him some praise in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's about the best pair of shoes I ever had. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summinton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.